The day had finally arrived. It had been 25 years since God first called Abraham. 25 years that God called out to this nobody and said, why don't you, I want you to leave where you are living. I want you to go to a place you don't know. I want you to follow my direction. I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to give you a country. I'm going to make you a blessing so that whoever blesses you will be blessed and whoever curses you will be cursed and you will be a blessing to the whole world. It had been 25 years since those words were first spoken to a 75-year-old man and his wife. A 75-year-old man and his wife who had no children, and yet God was saying, I will make you a great nation. But 25 years later, the day had finally arrived. Years of wondering, years of speculating, years of mostly waiting, and yet the day was here. Genesis chapter 21, verse 1. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. The day had finally come. Can you imagine the celebration? Can you imagine the joy of this moment? In fact, can you imagine as Sarah says, the laughter that would just fill the room. Invite all your friends, tell the neighbors, bring everyone in. It's time for an incredible celebration. They have been waiting, and yet God has done finally what he said he would do. And to 100-year-old Abraham and 93-year-old Sarah, think about giving birth, 93-year-old Sarah, a child has been born. God chose to wait to do something that only God could do, bringing about the impossible, such that the woman is pushing the stroller and using a walker. At the same time, if you ever heard of such a thing, the day had arrived and it's time to celebrate. They had every reason to doubt, every reason not to believe. No one ever had a baby at her age. Menopause was long in the rearview mirror. And yet here is the baby. There's a reason and a time for celebration. 
And yet with every good gift that comes into your life, it also brings change, doesn't it? No matter how good the gift, no matter how wonderful, no matter how long you've been waiting for it, no matter what it is, it inevitably will bring change into your life. That's not necessarily a good thing or a bad thing. It's just a thing. New things bring change. I tell parents uh, this or or people who are expecting their first child, I tell them this all the time, watch out because that baby is magic. And that baby is going to do something to you in a moment that you never realized it could do. Because as soon as that baby comes out of the womb and you hold it for the first time, it's going to do magic. It's going to change your perspective and your priorities in an instant that you didn't even realize could happen. Suddenly things that were non-negotiables for you that were so important fade into the backdrop. You get a text from your friend that says, hey, can you believe that play? Can you believe that game? And you think, I didn't even know the game was on and I hadn't missed one in 20 years. All you did was spend the day staring at a crib and a little child that couldn't even move on their own and you were fine. Change your priorities and your perspective in an instant. When something new moves into your life, it changes things. It has to. It doesn't even have to be a baby. Anything new that comes into your life is going to bring a change of perspective. You ever had a brand new car and then drive into a Walmart parking lot? And all of a sudden, those spaces look so narrow. And you think, well, I can't park here. Someone's going to hit that. And you are parking way out in the lot and walking in. Because your perspective changed. You get a bigger house and all of a sudden you're interested in landscaping and HGTV and color swatches and your perspective changes. You get a pet and the only thing you're concerned about is does this Airbnb allow pets to come in? Something new comes into your life, it changes things. It happens that way, especially with parents and a baby. I mean, make no mistake about it, you'll make a trade all the time, but it is a trade-off. You trade sleep and rest and temporary sanity for coos and crying and little hands wrapped around your finger. Oh, you'll make the trade, but it's a trade. It causes at times stress between a husband and a wife. I got up at the last feeding. It's your turn. No, I got up and changed the dirty diaper and didn't wake you up. It's your turn. Tell you before you leave the hospital, don't, now, now don't shake this baby under any circumstances. And in that moment, you think, who would possibly shake a baby? And three days later, you go, oh, I know. Yeah. It changes things. It changes perspective. It causes you to look at things differently. A new baby can cause tension in a family. Tension with parents. Tension with other siblings. That's what happens with Abraham and Sarah. Look at verse 8. And the child grew 
and was weaned. So in this culture, uh, weaned is about three years old before a child would stop nursing. And it's a significant moment because at that time, it marks a moment of sustainability. It marks a moment that the child came through one of the most um, difficult times and one of the times where a lot of infants could die. And if they make it through that three years to the time of weaning, it's, it's a cause for celebration. And so that's what Abraham does. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. There's a play on words that's going on in this passage. See, the name Isaac means laughter. And so Sarah says, those who, you know, hear this, they will Isaac with me. They will laugh over me. They'll rejoice. And then when Ishmael mocks Isaac, it says he's Isaacing Isaac. He's mocking him. He's laughing at him. If you're new with us, uh, or maybe you haven't been with us the last several weeks, let me catch you up on what's going on here in the story. You might have got lost there for a second. So I said 25 years ago, a promise was given to Abraham and Sarah that they would have a baby, and it was. And 25 years later, at 100 years old, God brought that baby. But in the meantime, 16 years ago, Abraham and Sarah became impatient, and they thought, we are old, we're not having a child. Let's take part in a cultural practice of their time, which was to take a household servant and then try to produce a next of kin through that. And that was Hagar. And Abraham slept with Hagar and did have a son. And that son's name is Ishmael. And now Ishmael is causing problems. They say chickens come home to roost, and this was certainly the case here. The decision of Abraham and Sarah 16 years earlier to produce a son through Sarah's servant Hagar instead of trusting God would give them a child, instead of trusting that God would give them a child of their own. This child, Ishmael, has now grown into a teenager and is acting like a teenager making fun of his younger stepbrother, mocking him, laughing at him. And Sarah doesn't like it. What should have been a time only filled with joy and celebration has now been tainted, has now been intruded upon. A decision that was made way back in the past 16 years ago is now having unpleasant implications on a present joy and celebration. Things that we did in the past, transgressions that we made, choices that have been made in the past that have consequences now in the present. Have you ever been there? I mean, maybe something like, and I'm just spitballing here, maybe you win your first Academy Award and it's supposed to be a time of joy and celebration and yet it's tainted by you slapping the host a few minutes earlier in the evening. 
our actions taint in the past at times will taint some of our joy in the present. Transgression long in the past, but consequences that continue into the present. Have you been there? Maybe a wedding night that should have been nothing but a celebration gets tainted by memories of acts in the past. Maybe a betrayal done long in the past still feels like it was just done yesterday. Maybe a friend says something hurtful about you on social media on your birthday and every birthday those words come back to you and a time of celebration is tainted by pain. Maybe your family got into an argument on your wedding day and still hasn't reconciled and every anniversary is just a reminder of the strife that exists in your family. Maybe you're laid off a year before your retirement and it's a constant reminder and pain in your heart. Something that should be a celebration is tainted. Maybe you find out you're pregnant, but then you learn about an addiction to porn or an affair and something that should be a time of celebration becomes a time of pain. Actions done in the past that taint your present joy. Abraham now is being put into an impossible situation. His wife Sarah is saying, send your son, my stepson, away. He has no part of this inheritance with Isaac. But this is Abraham's son. He has a love for him. It's a hazard, I think, to some of us who are maybe too familiar with this story that we immediately push Ishmael away as not being the son of promise. He's the outsider. We already know that Isaac is the one chosen by God, but that's not how Abraham saw it. This was his son. For 13 years, this was his only son, and he loved him as his son. He wasn't an outcast. He wasn't the not promised one. He wasn't the son of a slave. He was the son of Abraham. When they walked together, it was Abraham walking with his son. When Ishmael was alone, it was, that's Abraham's boy. Abraham taught him about land and animals, how to fight, the things a father would teach a son. They likely sat around the fire and told stories at night of the day's adventure. He circumcised Ishmael as a part of welcoming him into the covenant community. He talked to him about the ways of men and women. He thought about where he would find him a wife. This was his son. And Sarah was telling him, send him away. Disinherit him. Let him no longer be called your son so that he doesn't share a part of the inheritance with my son. There were other considerations too. I mean, just practically, isn't two better than one? I mean, what if something happened to Isaac? He's still a young boy. Wouldn't it be better to have two sons in the house if something happened? There were cultural considerations. 
There was a cultural custom that said if you did have a son by a servant or a slave woman and then had a son by your wife, you were still obligated to take care of the son of the slave woman. You couldn't just cast them out. There were cultural considerations. So how could Abraham send away his son? But how could he face his wife if he didn't? You ever been in a situation like that? Either way, you feel like you lose. Either way, you feel like it's an impossible option. It's part of the mess that Abraham and Sarah had created by trying to bring about God's will their way. And now they're dealing with the consequences. 16 years ago, they said, we know better than you, God. We're going to do it our way. They didn't consult God. They didn't ask God. They just went about and did it their way. And now they're dealing with the pain and the consequences of it. Certainly Abraham, I'm sure, wished he had, you know, like a men in black, that little button he could push and everybody's memory was gone, right? Restart. Or maybe like Superman flying around the world backwards, reversing the course and, and just turning back time and he would make a different decision. He would do things differently. He would change it so that this would become only a time of celebration and not a time of pain, but God didn't work that way. is doesn't take away the consequences of our sin like that. But he does make a way. Left to himself, Abraham had little choice and no good options. But then the next two words we read in this passage are two of the most significant words in all of Scripture. But God. But God. Abraham's in an impossible situation, but God. Abraham sees no way out, but God. Abraham's made a mess that he can't clean up, but God. But God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named, and I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. God says, there's another way. And I'll take care of Ishmael and I'll take care of Hagar. And don't worry about the cultural considerations. Just do as Sarah said, but God made a different way. So much of life hinges on those two words, but God. Maybe you've experienced moments in your life, the but God moments. You were hopeless and lost, but God provided meaning. You were controlled or addicted to a substance or alcohol, but God set you free. No one liked you, but God said he loved you. You were caught in the downward spiral of self-harm, but God said you have value. But God, these two words make a way out of our own mess. Abraham and Sarah had made a mess, but God was going to use this situation. 
He's going to do what he had promised through a promised child, Isaac, and he's going to make Ishmael into a great nation. And he does. Many of the the, the Arab peoples who exist in the world today trace their lineage back to Abraham through Ishmael. And they trace their their, their lineage that this great nation that's come about is part of God's promise to Abraham to make his son Ishmael into a great nation. And before you jump to conflicts between Arabs and, and Jews or Muslims and Christians, you, I think we first must understand that it first goes through the promise to Abraham that he would make Ishmael into a great nation. That the Arab peoples, it must be remembered, were some of the first people who came and converted to following Jesus Christ on the day of Pentecost. That some of the oldest churches in the world are found in the Arab world. God fulfilled his promise of making a great nation of Ishmael, even as he worked the promise of Abraham through Isaac. God doesn't remove all the consequences of our sin, but he will work in them to bring about something new and beautiful. Faith trusts God's promises are perfect even in the lives of imperfect people. Which is good news for you and me, not just for Abraham and Sarah. Because we've messed up. Because we've got those things in our past that are tainting our present. And what faith in God does is it trusts that God, though I have those mistakes in my past, though I have those things I regret, though I have those things that that I've messed up, I trust that you are still able to work your plan. I trust that you are still able to work out good in the situation. I trust that you are still going to bring about what you said you'd bring about. And Abraham and Sarah find a different way forward because of God. But of course, that's not the way Hagar and Ishmael see it, right? They had their freedom. I mean, that's what Abraham did. He essentially said, you're free. You're no longer a slave. You're no longer obligated. They were granted their freedom. But in the process, Ishmael was also disinherited sent him out basically saying, you are no longer my son. But he also sent them out on what was essentially a death sentence. He sent a single mom and a fatherless child out into the desert at this time. There was no question how it was going to end. But God. Because if you're Hagar and Ishmael... They had essentially been handed a death sentence. The victim of someone else's poor choices was never their choice. Verse 15, when the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about a distance of a bow shot. For she said, can you imagine, mom, having to say these words, let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted her voice and wept. Once again, Hagar is experiencing the consequences of other people's decisions. 
She has never had a choice. She was told what to do and where to go and then had to deal with the consequences of what they decided. No one asked her if she wanted to have a child with Abraham. There was no love involved, just duty. Now she's sent away with barely enough to survive on for a few days. A suddenly single parent with no job, no resources, no recourse, and no prospects. Ishmael, a suddenly fatherless child with no lineage, no legacy, no heritage, no food, no water. Likely Ishmael let Hagar have the water and he was weakened by not having any nourishment. She left him under a tree so she wouldn't have to watch him die. Once again, a woman left on her own without choice or help, discarded like yesterday's garbage, but not alone. Verse 17. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not. For God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy. And he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him for the land of Egypt. God was with the boy. God takes the mess that Abraham and Sarah created. He doesn't eliminate and just erase the consequences, but he somehow works within them to bring about something good and a plan that no one else could bring about. And this is the way that God works. Maybe you've been there where it's not your choices, but the choices of another that leave you dealing with the consequences of sin. Someone else did it, and you got caught in the blowback. You ended up as collateral damage. You took the flack from someone else's choice and decision. It wasn't your fault, but you nevertheless feel the pain. You didn't have any say in your parents' divorce, but you feel the consequences. You weren't the one who cheated, but you have to deal with the stigma and the pain. You didn't lose the money. You didn't bring the debt into the marriage, and yet it affects your life, your decisions, your future. Faith trusts God's promises are perfect even in the lives of imperfect people that God's still at work, that God saw Hagar and Ishmael and he sees you and he hears you and he's able to bring something good 
out of broken pieces. This message, this word is specifically for Hagar and Ishmael and Abraham. I don't want to pretend that we can just take it and say that's exactly what God is saying to us. But God later on through the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans says this to you, for we know that those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. That God says that I will take the pieces, the mess that you made, and somehow work good through it. That I, I will take it, and though you experience these consequences, and though you might experience this pain intruding upon your joy, I will take up these pieces and somehow make good out of it. And I don't know how God always does that, but I know he promises to always do it for those who are called and who will follow him does it. This is the story of the gospel. This is the story of the cross. And I hope during this season of Lent, maybe you've been taking some time to think about the cross, to think about your own sin, to think about your own brokenness, and in the midst of that, to recognize that God is able to take that brokenness and bring healing and redemption and good out of it. That's the message of the cross, that what people had meant for evil and death and end, God used for life and resurrection and healing, bringing something beautiful out of something ugly. Makoto Fujimara is an artist. He's a Christian artist, and he um, does... Uh, various Japanese forms of art, and one of them is called kintsugi. And kintsugi is this, what happens is for the Japanese, one of the um, most meaningful rituals and times is having tea together, and they will have often elaborate tea sets and bowls, and, and sometimes one of those tea sets that was passed down for generations might break. And what they often do will take up those pieces and hold them for uh, a period of time, sometimes for generations, until they pass them on to an artist who is schooled in the art of kintsugi. And the kintsugi artist will take those pieces and hold them and look at them and, 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 and figure out how they go together and will eventually bring them back together. But the, uh, the, the beauty of Kintsugi is they use gold to fuse the cracks to bring them together such that some of the bowls look like this. And what Makoto uh, says in a theology of making is this. He says the bowl that's then returned to the family is more beautiful and more valuable than it was before it broke. And what was broken has now been made whole and returned in a more beautiful state than it was before because of the artist that applied their skill. I think it's just a beautiful picture of what God did for Abraham and Sarah but what God just continues to do in the stories throughout history and stories that are sitting in these chairs today. Where God, we, we messed up. We, we tried our best to mess up the story. And yet we come to God 
and he takes the pieces and he somehow makes something beautiful out of them. And he somehow redeems and he somehow brings good out of it. And so we've got a few minutes here and what I wanna do, the team's gonna play a song and I wanna give you an opportunity to come and kneel at this altar and pray and spend time with the Lord because some of you are in here and it's your choices and you messed up and you're dealing with the consequence of that and that is constantly infringing on your joy and your celebration because of something in the past and you just need to give that over to God. You need to ask God, God, would you just bring good out of that? I don't know how to. God, I've confessed it, I've brought it to you and yet it still brings pain to my life and you just need to confess and give that over to God and ask him to bring good out of it. But some of you are sitting here and it's the choice of somebody else. And you've been bitter and you've carried this around and it wasn't your choice. Someone else did it, but you were in the blowback. And you need to come and you need to kneel and you need to give that over to God and say, God, would you bring good out of this? Would you take these broken pieces and somehow bring healing and redemption and good? And so I'm gonna ask you to stand and I'm gonna pray. And then as the team plays, you can come and kneel at this altar and someone will come and lay a hand on your shoulder and pray for you as, as you come and pray. Lord, God, we, God, are not very good at uh, seeing the way forward sometimes. Lord, we like Hagar, our circumstances are so overwhelming that we can't even see the well of water in front of us. That we hold on to our bitterness and our pain that's been caused us or that we've caused and we miss a well of water right in front of us. God, we need you to open our eyes. God, I pray for men and women throughout this room this morning that you would just open eyes to the well of water and healing that you've placed in front of them. That maybe they've sat in these seats week after week hanging on to their pain and Lord, you said, give it to me. Give me those pieces. Give me those broken pieces we've missed the well of water that's right in front of us. The healing work that your spirit wants to do. Lord, you did it for Abraham, you did it for Sarah, and you're still doing it. So Lord, I pray that you would speak to us and that you would work in the places where we messed up. We're the ones who broke it, Lord. We're the ones who went our own way to try and bring about your will. We're the ones who thought we knew the better way and it brought us pain. So Lord, today, would you just minister? Lead us in Jesus' name.